Welcome back to Front My Magic Podcast. Susan Axelson here. I am your host for this podcast, brought to you by Frontline Medic in partnership with Ask Nicely. Ask Nicely is your number one frontline success platform with everything your frontline teams need to delight every customer every time. In this episode, we are talking to Sandra Thompson, who is an emotional intelligence and customer experience expert. Sandra Thompson is also one of the brains behind our new frontline success masterclasses that she have helped create together with us and our community. If you haven't signed up for them yet, I highly encourage you to do so by visiting frontlinematic.org to learn more. But for now, let's dive into how emotional intelligence contributes to brilliant business performance, great happiness for employees, and contentment of customers. Today we have Sandra Thompson on the podcast, and I'm really pleased to have you here, Sandra. Can you start with just telling everyone what you do for work today? So I'm one of those really fortunate people who have managed to land this portfolio of opportunity. I'm a consultant in customer experience and employee experience. I do a bit of lecturing at a business school in central London. I'm the first Goldman emotional intelligence coach in the UK. Whew. If that doesn't look busy, <laughs> um, lots on your plate. yeah, lots on my plate, but stuff I love, which is a real treat. And you also been working with us to develop our frontline success masterclasses. Absolutely, they're out right now, and people are working their way through it, which is exciting. <laughs> so exciting! I want to know how did you end up in the CX space? It was a bit of an accident, actually. Um, I worked in marketing. I'm a marketer by trade, and I worked for a particular company, and they wanted me to do some stuff with them on CRM. And rather than just do the customer relationship management piece, which is then actually at the time was more of an IT program, I said, I think maybe we should do some patient experience work. And then that's when it all kicked off. I actually left that company and started my own business. I've been running my own consultancy now for around 12 years. And about five years ago, I went to a college and said, hey, I've done this work with another university. I'd really like to work with you and help you with your student experience. And rather than say, yes, of course, we really like that. They said, no, could you teach this? And I don't know what happened, but the words that came out of my mouth were, yes, I'd love to. And then I walked <laughs> out with this teaching gig and I never taught before. So consultancy, <laughs> a bit of teaching, and more recently working as a, an emotional intelligence coach. And that's, I think that's the, the, the sweet spot for me. It's bringing emotional intelligence to customer experience and employee experience. So consultant, teacher, coach, whatever you want to call it, it's quite a melee, but I'm very fortunate. Amazing. So many, many people think that emotional intelligence, you, you're born with it and you can't learn it. But in fact, you can actually learn this. And I know in this interview, um, you're going to share some some knowledge and slightly different from or some knowledge on how you can practice your emotional intelligence. So this podcast episode is going to be a bit different from the ones we normally do. And yeah, so I want to start out with let's clear a few things out first. So what's the difference between empathy and emotional intelligence? Because I hear this mixed up all the time. <laughs> 
The definition that I most often use is from Goleman. Daniel Goleman, who wrote the book 25 years ago, emotional intelligence, you know, why it can actually be more important than IQ. It caused a bit of a stir at the time. So emotional intelligence is your ability to recognize and understand emotions in yourself and others. It's your ability to manage your behavior and relationships. So it really is quite a kind of headline view, not only about yourself, but also about others, but it's an ability, it's a skill that you learn over time, you keep refreshing yourself in order to manage your behavior and your relationships. Now, when we look at empathy is different because empathy is really about the ability to understand and share the feelings of another. So empathy is actually one of the 12 competencies within emotional intelligence. And it's argued by many that you can only really be good at empathy when you practice emotional intelligence because your ability to understand the emotion in yourself means that when you try to be empathetic, you can separate how you're feeling from what might be going on in the other person. You could say that empathy without emotional intelligence is really someone having sensations themselves, so feeling emotions themselves, and incorrectly thinking that what they're feeling is what the other person is feeling. And that's not possible because Every single individual has a completely different set of emotions because those emotions are shaped uh, over time through our experiences, through our socialization uh, and the context in the moment. So that was quite a long answer, but hopefully it helps you to, to grasp the fact that empathy is one of the 12 competencies within emotional intelligence and emotional intelligence is really the headliner. So when we think about emotional intelligence, how does emotions influence the customer's behavior? Lots of people think that we, everyone actually, I think I'm sure everyone thinks that we make rational decisions. I've got a surprise. 94% of the decisions that we make are emotional. They are emotional. They're based on how we feel about something, how something will make us look by association, will this thing make me even more important? Will it make me all these random things? So please do remember that we are chemistry labs on legs. We are making decisions emotionally. Once we've made a decision and the thing has arrived, we will post rationalize from the list of features and benefits but in the moment, those decisions are emotional. So when we mm. talk about empathy, there is three different layers to empathy. Could you yeah. go into those three different layers and what they actually mean? Yeah, absolutely. And one of them I'm going to explain is so good for customer experience. So let's go through them one by one. The first one is cognitive empathy. So I think I know how you feel. Great. The next one is emotional empathy, which is I think I'm feeling the same way that you're feeling. And the third one is compassionate empathy. And that's a real big ticket winner because in fact, if I feel compassion, I'm more likely to act 
on what I'm feeling and I'm thinking. And that's where customer experience has got to play because you might say to me, oh, I can imagine how you must be feeling. You're like, yeah, that's fine. What are you doing about it? Because the action of doing something, even if you can't solve the problem fully, but the fact that you've done something with what I've told you is so incredible as an opportunity to emotionally connect with someone. So thinking, feeling, doing, let's do more doing in CX. Yeah, great. (laughs) So the statistics for why you should invest in emotional intelligence is that it gives people uh, opportunity to get promoted, uh, lowers the stress levels, and it's really, we know it's a really important skill when it comes to customer facing roles, frontline workers. But what, what, why, if you will pitch to a business why they should invest and care about emotional intelligence and really upskill their teams in it, what would you say? There was a, a study not long ago, actually, by the Hay Group, and they talked about 44 of the Fortune 500 companies with people who had high EI produced twice the revenue than those people who had an average or a lower score. Twice the revenue. And if that isn't a compelling point, I don't quite know what is. So there's the financial side. 90% of top performers in many organizations, I think this is another test that was done, a piece of research that was done some time ago, 90% of top performers have high EI rating. You're right, people get promoted twice more often than those people who don't. And you have particularly in the legal sector, interestingly, where high stress, high cases of stroke and uh, coronary disease, that's all lowered when people practice this skill. So the health benefits, the financial benefits, and actually it being a nicer place to work and having better connections with customers. The financial uh, numbers are out there and that is often the leading story in any business case. Yeah. So if you think about the different roles within a business, what role does emotional emotional intelligence play in problem solving? I've watched this happen, actually, which was really fascinating. So I've watched people who have been trained over about, I think it was about six months in the skill of emotional intelligence. uh, And they were like a, a test group against a control. And what was happening when you observed their behavior is that they were naturally more curious. They were more open minded because, in fact, they weren't passing as much judgment on the thing that was happening, they were far more open because they were listening in a different way. That's one thing. So you have the opportunity to find new and different solutions by not closing your mind down too fast. That's one thing. The second thing is understanding the problem. Oh gosh, I know that's a really obvious statement, but asking open questions, but listening really listening to the response and the nuance and the thing that isn't said. Because then when you can dive deeper into 
really brilliant communication and you can watch the body language and you can see the facial expression and you're open, you get to the, the actual problem definition far faster. And also people feel more open to come out with more diverse solutions too, because they feel a sense of trust and they know that the space is being held. It's remarkable. Yeah. And but how do you structure this within an organization? So it becomes part of an everyday, it becomes one of the rituals or habits for the business success. You need to start with a bit of self-awareness. In my experience, you start with some kind of diagnostic, which can give someone a report. So they've answered a whole bunch of questions in a survey, out pops a report, they either agree or they don't agree with it. And it starts the conversation about self-awareness. That's the starting point, because we know that's the first of the 12 skills within the emotion intelligence model. So when people have that mirror held up to them, they can respond, can't they, in one or two ways. No, that is not me. Who are you talking about? Or actually, yeah, I'm not necessarily happy or actually I'm really happy with what's gone on. Then it's a case of people talking to one another about how they perceived the report that they got back. So you're already starting to explore perception of self and the perception others have of you. After that, what we've done before is invite people to start making notes every day, just for two minutes, just writing a journal at the end of the day on what happened, what did they feel? Some people are comfortable with that. Some people don't find two minutes, but some people who are habit creators are on it. And what that does is it's a reflection exercise and people start to see patterns of what makes them cross and what makes them happy and what kind of just is in the middle of the road. And when they do that, they're creating a language. They're creating what we call a lexicon, lots of different phrases to explain how they feel. And the neuroscientists call this emotional granularity, emotional granularity. So if you can imagine I ask you how you are, you might say fine, or you might say, actually, I'm feeling a bit like this. The practice of journaling gives you an ability to be far more prescriptive, to describe much more accurately how you're feeling. And that takes time. So that's really the first few steps that we would take people on. And then it's having conversations about how something makes someone feel. So imagine you're working on a project, you're getting really frustrated about something, rather than perhaps losing your temper or not being able to speak, you're able to calmly say, I'm not sure what's happened here, but I'm starting to get agitated. And I think the reason why is because of duh, 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 duh. Now that's a far more grounded, progressive type of conversation. And that comes from those previous two steps. That was a long answer, but I just needed to explain that it takes time yeah. and it's gradual and it's in steps. So if we then add, flip that example, I think it's really great. But if we flip it to someone uh, who's managing a big team of frontline staff, what is their kind of techniques to, if they have, they're dealing with a customer that's really obsessed, set, or they're getting really bad feedback delivered to them, how, what kind of methods and techniques 
can you foster within the frontline people? As a manager, managing frontline staff, I think the first thing is to acknowledge what has happened. You have to acknowledge what has happened. So it's very much a case of going through it as much as you feel comfortable. What happened on that call? They did this and they said that. And how did you feel about that? I felt like this. I felt like that. And okay, let's think for a second about the reason why that person might have been angry. So you're thinking for a moment about the customer themselves. They might have had a terrible day. They might have just stubbed their toe. You have no idea what's going on with that customer, but you're separating the way the customer was to how the frontline staff has responded. Because ultimately, these feedback are not personal. It's whatever's going on emotionally for that customer, and it's the ability of the member of staff to just recognize they're venting. In fact, they'll probably be totally fine tomorrow because they will have calmed down. So it's not a personal thing. But the manager needs to, what we call, hold the space so that the member of staff feels heard, feels supported, that the manager is interested in how that experience was. That goes so far because it means that the member of staff, the frontline staff, senses that the manager has got their back. You can't stop the thing from happening. You can't stop thinking that has happened because it has, but you might change the frame of reference if you think about the customer in a slightly different way. And then by doing that, you, as a leader, you're coaching your frontline front staff as well. So then they building up their emotional intelligence and know that not to take it personal and acknowledge the feelings they might feel in those situations. Even, you're absolutely right, even if we think of ourselves, I know that I have lost my temper in previous years with call centre staff because I've perceived that they're not helping me. And so if we think for a moment about ourselves and if we think for a moment about when we might have raised our voice or got agitated with someone else, we're just human and every single human, chemistry on legs is what I'd like to call them, it's not personal. It's just the stuff that is going on for that individual. And that's really hard for, if you're getting a lot of that over weeks, it's really hard to remember that. But again, breathing techniques, even spending two minutes standing with your feet hip distance apart, with your hands on your, uh, hands on your hips, doing the Amy Cuddy power pose means that you can change how you're feeling. No, seriously, there's a brilliant <laughs> TEDx about it. If you change your physical state, if you go for a walk, if you shake it out, there's a story about zebras. Uh, I'm going off on a tangent here, but <laughs> zebras, zebras shake it off. That's what they do. There's a really brilliant story about how zebras are hanging out by the water hole and along comes I don't know what would be coming along at something that might eat them and they go storming off. And then when they get to their safe place, they shake it off and then they're totally fine again. Humans can off. also shake things off. Can. That's exactly get up and do a little shake. Shake out the cortisol, shake it about and you'll feel much better. Change the energy. It's great. And yeah, that's awesome. And it's so easy to do. Everyone can do that. <laughs> You might, depending on how confident you feel, you might want to go outside to do that or find a private space. Yeah. Uh, but I have seen people do it at their desk and hey, why not? Then you at least know they are managing their emotional state. Yeah, great. 
So when it comes to delivering a great customer experience, how does that manifest itself on the habits and the culture of the business? The habits and the culture. So let's just get one thing really straight, is that emotional intelligence is not about being nice. It's about being of service to yourself and to others. So the kind of habits, the kind of culture that you see in places that have great customer experience is healthy challenge. It's candid. There are opportunities to feedback knowing it's in with good intent. There's continual desire to want to do better. There's the acceptance of the fact that, do you know what? This was a learning opportunity. I didn't fail. I didn't mess up. I learned. And that's big for many organizations where people feel nervous about going the extra mile for the customer, for doing something slightly off the wall, because they're not sure whether it's safe to do that. So in these organizations where it's a learning culture, where feedback is candid and it's straight away, it's immediate, you get far more growth and you get far more trust and people feel safe. Yeah, great. That's awesome. So when it comes to addressing emotional intelligence, what do you see leaders struggling with the most? In my experience, it's leaders carving out time to be. And when I say to be, that's time to sit and be quiet and to come back to themselves and to give their nervous system a break. Because certainly when I've, in, in years gone by, when I've had senior roles, it's relentless. And, and now every channel is beeping at some point and pinging and doing all sorts of things. They often don't give themselves that time because they feel guilty that they're not doing all of the time. But here's the thing. When they do spend even two to five minutes just being quiet, they get more energy, they have more resilience, they are more present for others. I just wish there was a magic wand I could wave to stop them from feeling guilty for looking after themselves. Yeah, it's like when you're on an airplane, you put on the, the flight attendant will say, put on your own oxygen mask first before helping anyone else. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And I read something not long ago about Warren Buffett. Now, Warren Buffett, you might have heard this, he organizes his time knowing that he needs to give himself a bit of a break to think and some time. So there's this story about how someone comes in and interrupts a meeting, asks him if he can make a decision now about something, and he gets out his little diary, his little calendar, and he says, I'm thinking about that next Tuesday between three and five. End of subject. Don't really mess with Warren Buffett anyway. But I just think it's, isn't that interesting how he has such an incredible success in his life and it is down to some of these techniques. You've got to do it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you need to plan when you're going to think. That needs to be planned out. When you're going to be yeah, creative, that needs to be planned out. Everything needs to be planned. Or oh, when are you going to be spontaneous? You should plan that out too. <laughs> Well, and that's the thing. I've worked in some organizations where if someone has had a really bad call, 
or the meeting has been really fraught and the, the end result has been good but it's been very emotionally straining they will say I will be back in 10 minutes I'm moving my meetings I'm going to be back in 10 minutes I just have to walk outside and everyone respects that because if they went into another meeting straight away they're not going to be present because they're still mentally in the previous meeting. Does that make yeah, sense? They're bringing in the same energy that they had and that frustration and taking that and then putting that on another customer potentially mm-hmm. who will exactly. get the same feeling, which just impact the whole experience for that customer. Emotional contagion is a thing. And until you break that circuit, you will get burnout. Yeah. Yeah. So if you can describe the single most important attribution of a frontline employee, what would that be? Courage, because I think when I see and I experience phenomenal frontline staff, they have some kind of grit about them, some kind of presence that, that number one, they're going to take care of it for you. You can bet your bottom dollar that they're going to take care of that for you. And also, if they can't completely solve it, that they will have tried their very best to do it. And they have the courage to be honest and transparent with the customer. And while it might not be the ideal outcome, that in itself brings emotional connection and loyalty between the customer and the frontline staff. So I say courage every time. Yeah. And the same, would you say the same for a leader of frontline teams? I would say I'm going to mix it up a bit and I'm going to say, I'm not sure if this is an attribute, but the thing that comes to mind is trust, actually. And I want more leaders, more team leaders to trust their staff, to empower them, to give them the framework and let them be themselves to feel comfortable with the fact that these people want to do good work, that we are naturally wired to do good, to be better, to make progress. So I think it, it might be trust with a little bit of courage. Yeah, great. <laughs> On a practical level, can you give an example of where a leader or a frontline employee have shown high emotional intelligence just for people to put themselves in the shoes of this is a really good example of emotional intelligence. I've observed frontline staff dealing with customers who have changed their mood very quickly. So you think it's all going fine. All of a sudden the body language changes, the tone of voice changes, the facial expression changes. Those frontline staff who have the skill of emotional intelligence can sense that something is going on and they check in with the customer. They don't follow their script. They don't carry on with the process that they're meant to follow. They stop for a moment and they check in with the customer and they say, how is everything? Or I've noticed, how is that? I'm not saying you look like you've just, you're having a mood. You're not doing any of that, but you're definitely acknowledging the fact that something has changed and it's up to the customer then whether they make themselves known and they say something but I have observed staff be able to say oh I'm not sure you're too happy about that 
and they lighten it up and it breaks the problem and they are able to give the customer what they want because very often customers won't articulate they'll go with it but you can see that they they've changed how they feel about the transaction that's one thing and the other thing is proactivity i have seen team leaders in a hospitality environment where they have predicted what a group might need and rather than just say oh, i think this is what you might need you're basically saying to the customer oh we've got these things and those things and if you want to put that stuff that's that's very easy for us to do with our concierge or whatever and the fact that they have spent a moment thinking about what that group might like and they have offered something above and beyond as a suggestion makes people feel like a million dollars yeah that takes emotional intelligence to have the confidence to suggest something and to be able to read the room that's what we're talking about here the ability to suss out and feel comfortable knowing that you might have made some mistakes before and got it a bit wrong but to feel comfortable to make those suggestions it it's you will definitely go back there again no doubt about it these guys know their stuff so if a company wants to create a better experience for the customer what is the one simple thing they can do and start with today that will create a long-term impact? Listen. Everyone says listen. <laughs> no, but seriously, I don't think people know how to do it properly. So and, how, and what, what does it mean to be a good listener? Number one, you need to be fully present. When you have distractions, when you're looking at your phone, when you've got one ear listening to another conversation just to see what's going on over there, when you're looking at something because you're distracted over there, or actually you're thinking about your next meeting or about what the person is going to say, we listen often to respond. We do not listen to listen. And while everyone will say it, I very rarely see it practiced extraordinarily well. Because when someone listens, they basically say back to you, I think this is what I heard you say. Is that right? Or, hmm, you said these things, but the thing that's missing, you didn't say anything about this thing. Is that okay? Or I noticed that you were emphasizing this thing. Is that really important to you? When someone acknowledges what you've said in whichever technique they use, you will give them more. You'll say, actually, that's right. And here's another thing. And here's another thing as well. Now, isn't that phenomenal as a leader, as a manager, and also in the presence of customers, you're more likely to get it right first time if you show that you're listening because they're going to give you more information, which means you can connect with them emotionally even more effectively. Great. Yeah. We, uh, we could all practice on our listening with all the distractions that are happening. And I think especially yeah, within the customer-facing role as well, to not be rushed and slow down, take a moment and really pay attention and listen. That's a great example. I think if, they, if people could consider doing even a few role plays and being honest and saying, were you listening to respond just then? because uh, I think you were, I could see your eyes moving as if to say, I know how to solve that, rather than just sitting completely present. It, as the recipient of that, you feel completely differently. And you yeah. can tell it in the voice as well. Yeah, 
Great. Do you, my last questions, do you have a quote that you live by? I do actually. And it's accredited to Maya Angelou and it's around people won't remember what you say. They won't remember what you do, but they will remember how you made them feel. There's no doubt about it. There are mood hoovers and there are magic makers out there. You get an email from someone and your heart sinks or you get a text message from someone and you're like, yes, I can't wait to get back to them. <laughs> you leave an imprint with someone however you show up and being mindful of that legacy anywhere, whether you're managing staff or you're dealing with customers or you're training frontline staff, people remember how you made them feel. Amazing. Yeah, that's so true, especially when it comes to emotional intelligence as well. Thank you for listening to another episode of Frontline Magic Podcast with your host, Susanne Axelsson. Feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn or email me at susanne at frontlinemagic.org with any feedback or thoughts that you would like to share on this episode. This podcast is brought to you by Ask Nicely. Ask Nicely is your number one frontline success platform with everything your frontline teams need to delight every customer every time. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give it a five-star rating. Frontline Magic provides you with the tools, insights, and inspirational stories you need to deliver an awesome customer experience. Sign up for free and learn more on frontlinemagic.org. And thanks for making frontline work awesome.